Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus just after 8.30 on the East Coast, 5.30 on the West Coast alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebi Salazar. Speaking of basketball, Herc, when are we going to have our one-on-one game? Maybe we should get Achi Achi involved, you know? We could have a nice little two-on-two showdown. That's only three of us. Who's the second? We'll find somebody. We'll, we'll get Mao in the game. We'll get Mao in the game. I know you're afraid to take me on one-on-one. We've been trying to have a, a game for like Seth, years. And you whatever keep backing out you every time want, I show up. One-on-one. <laughs> whatever you want. Okay. Let it be known. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let it be known. If you want to lower the, the rim show. so you can read, just... <laughs> can you touch the net? That's all I want to know. Uh, the net, yes. The rim, might, you might be asking a little bit much. Mm. Uh, it is April 6th for those keeping track at home. A very special date. We'll get into why maybe a little bit later in the show. But it's special because we got a lot to discuss on this edition of Football Americas. Uh, Herc, we're going to be having the best ever conversation around Mexican football. That should be very interesting. Uh, Christian Pulisic has a new manager as well. well. Again? A new manager, but an old manager. We'll explain. Fra- uh, Frank Lampard back Again? in charge of Chelsea. <laughs> the National Women's Soccer League is talking expansion, Herc, out your way. Not quite your neighborhood, but out your way. And we have CONCACAF Champions League, the quarterfinals. First leg, all done and dusted. We will recap all that action. But we're going to start this episode with a familiar topic here on Football Americas, and that is Foreign Balogun, the trinational striker who has yet to commit his international future between the United States, England, and Nigeria. Here's what Anthony Hudson had to say on Tuesday about Balogun. Quote, we had some very good conversations with Flo and his agent just sharing what we do talking to him about where we see him in our team, allowing him just to get a feel for the country, the team, the guys. The conversations went really, really well. And then, since he and his agent went back to Europe, there have just been a couple of text messages, and now it's down to him to make a decision. Also, her chiming in on Balogun's future, Manchester United and Trinidad and Tobago legend, White York. This in an interview with New Online Casinos. York saying these young players like Fuller and Balogun need to remember that without football, they would not be where they are now. And people can be disillusioned by them because they have 10 million followers. Football has made these players' lives a lot easier with the option of playing for different countries. If they had only one option, once you're an Englishman, you're an Englishman, they would not be having these kind of strops. Uh, now I looked at, oh, what's a strop, Herc? It's like an attitude or a mood. So shots fired here by Dwight York. I don't think there's any doubt about that? Are they are they warranted? Is he onto something? They are not warranted, and it's honestly comical. What is he on? What what's going on here? Where 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 do we start? All right. The world is globalized now. You you can't just sit here and say you were born there, play there. You play here, stay there. And Dwight York, out of everybody is the one to come out and say this. Dwight York, by the way, Trinidad and Tobago legend, you mentioned Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that 2016 for Trinidad? The exact same same situation, a U21 English national team player. That was Shaka Hislop, a U21 English national team player who decided to play for Trinidad. Many of his teammates then were of... Dual nationals. We're dual nationals of other descents, other origins. So I, I don't know what he's coming at. And I get it because if you go on and you read the rest of this interview, it, it comes off as this old head who's a little bit yes. bitter of what these young kids have nowadays. He talks about them not having the pressures, of them not having the responsibilities, of them being soft. And maybe there's some truth to the new generation being a, a little bit softer in a few things or whatever the case may be, more interested in clothes or TikTok or Instagram, whatever the case, you maybe. But I can't call this generation soft. This generation yeah. deals with a lot more than the previous generations. Dwight York could never imagine having those tens of millions of followers that I'm sure he had back then because he was a Manchester United player and it was a massive club. Mm-hmm. It still is a massive club. But back then, it was a massive club. And have a bad game. And to open up your social media... And just see the diarrhea of comments. Sometimes not just negative comments. Sometimes death threats. Sometimes really dark stuff. And then call the person who has to deal with that soft. Mm. I I don't know what. And then the last thing. Very lastly. What's he on about? Because if you go on to read this, he talks about Southgate. 
Mm -hmm. If I were if I were Southgate, I'd go talk. They value him so little that Southgate, in his attempt to actually show him how much they value him, sent a U21 coach, a youth team, a youth national team coach, to go to try and convince him to stay. So I have no idea what Dwight York's on about. It seems to me like a little bit of these pioneers that that didn't get their due or feel that didn't get their due and now are kind of yelling at the clouds. Yes, exactly. You know about that. Old man yelling at clouds. Something Hercules Gomez is very familiar with. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about age a little bit later in the show. Uh, to, to the point about what you said about York's comments kind of later on, because we read one part of his quote on this. He said, Southgate should not shut the door because Balogun could be the next big thing. So he kind of is a little bit, I think, less harsh than maybe that quote would lead you to believe. Um, but I'm trying to think, Herc, like, why would Dwight York say this, right? Like, because it does come out of left field. Why is, why is a player, you know, with a Manchester United tie and a Trinidad and Tobago tie talking about Fuller and Balogun? And then you got to look at his resume, right? York just got fired from a job in Australia, okay? And on his way out of Australia, he called the club a pub team. So he's burning bridges left, right, and center. And he's looking for work. And he's probably, Herc, based on his resume, got his best chance of work in England. So to me... This is like a politician throwing red meat to his base. He's saying, hey, this new generation of players, and specifically this guy who doesn't want to fight his way to a spot in the English team, is soft. That's really what he's saying here. The guy who's taking the path of least resistance and maybe an easier opportunity with the U.S. is soft. I don't think it's softer. I think it's smart. I know this was shots fired, but if we could do a get lost here for Dwight York, I would tell him to get lost because I think he's way off the mark. And I think if you're a player in today's modern day and you don't take advantage, you don't take advantage of that leverage that you have. If you're a, a dual national or a tri-national in this case, you're missing the point. And I think Dwight York very badly misses the point here. Something he didn't do uh, during his playing days. All right, Herc. Speaking of the United States men's national team, huge game coming up in what? 12 days against Mexico. Now, how much pressure each side is under depends on who you ask. But Diego Coca was asked just that question this week. Let's hear what he had to say. Hay presión para Diego Coca, sobre todo en este partido y después la Nations League. ¿Se siente usted presionado? No, como lo decía, lo decía hace un rato, yo me siento un privilegiado que pueda aprovechar una oportunidad primero de ser de dirigir otro partido más de la selección mexicana de fútbol, de jugar contra un rival como Estados Unidos en su cancha, seguramente con muchísima afición y muchísima afición mexicana también. Así que estoy feliz. Privilege, not pressure, Herc. You buying or selling Diego Coca's comments? I am selling. I'm selling. Listen, I buy that Diego Coca is saying all the right things, trying to do mm -hmm. all the right things. We see him at all the Mexican national teams, I'm oh, sorry, all the Mexican uh, stadiums, I should say, league stadiums. There, He's in El Azteca, he's in uh, Hidalgo and Pachuca. He's going out and watching these players play, something that we didn't see very much of Tata Martino. He's doing the right things, trying to say the right things. But he knows that there is pressure. Why mm. is there pressure? Because he's got a show face for the failures of Tata Martino and the past regime. There wouldn't be the pressure that Diego Coca has today if not for what Mexico didn't do. Look at this, Seb. Look at this. Mexico versus the U.S. men's national team is never just a friendly. Not since 2000. No. It's become something else. And Mexican fans, the Mexican public, the Mexican media, they don't like losing if they do not get a win. It would be the fifth time. Five straight They've not been able to lose, or to win, excuse me, five straight. They've not been able to win against the U.S. men's national team. And what's worse, it would be a double whammy because there would be no European players. They would lose to an MLS-based team. Mm. Of course, there is pressure. Dare I say it, if it's a bad loss between these two B teams, if it's a bad loss, he may not make it to Las Vegas. Mm. He may not make it to that Nations League semifinal. I want to get to that point just a little bit because it's the second time you've mentioned that here on this show. These friendlies, by the way, are no wins for Mexico. You know very well what happened in 2012. A friendly in Azteca. It was just a friendly, but when the U.S. finally beats that Mexican team in Azteca, that invincibility of Azteca disappears, and I think it changes the rivalry. And actually, Herc, if you go through the history of this rivalry, 
The United States has been pretty dominant in the friendlies, so I think there's very little to be gained generally for Mexico in these friendlies. I hope that what you're saying, though, about Diego Coca potentially being on the hot seat or even fired should something bad happen in this game is not true. I hope you're wrong. I'm not sure that you're wrong. I hope you're wrong. It's okay, Herc, if the fans get desperate should Mexico lose and lose badly to this U.S. team. It's okay for the media to get desperate because that's what they do. They're chasing clicks. We know a thing or two about that. It is not okay for the Mexican Federation to three games into a coach's tenure with everything that's coming up in the next three years back off of a coach because of what he did in a non-FIFA window with what will not be his A-team. That would be insanity. So the Mexican Federation right now, no matter what happens in this game and no matter what the fans say and what the media says, has to hold firm. Whatever you think of Diego Coca, you got to stick with him, at least through the summer. You have to give him a chance in real competitive games to work with the A team. I'll give you two examples. Hugo Sanchez, when the U23 program failed to qualify in Carson, okay. California, fired. And the second one we had, Juan Carlos Osorio here on this set with us in Qatar, and he told you after that 7-0 game against Chile what had happened. He was on the hot seat, and he almost left, and that was their first loss. That was mm -hmm. the first real loss they ever had with him as the coach. So, Seb, you know how it works in Mexico. You know how it works yeah. right now. You know what the climate is right now. And Diego Coca, you saw in El Estadio Azteca. It was the second game, and there was already Fuera Coca chance. <laughs> it's not an easy minefield. It's not an easy playing field for him right now. A bad loss, anything is possible. To be fair to him, you know, this, this quote makes it sound a little bit like he's downplaying the USA-Mexico rivalry I don't like think Tata so. Martino did in the past. If you hear the whole quote, you know that's not the case. Which, exactly. to your point about him saying the right things and doing the right things, he is very much atoning, at least off the field, for the mistakes of, of, of his predecessor. Speaking of Diego Coca, we have more sound from him. This on a player who could help the Mexican national team turn things around. You know who I'm talking about, Chicharito. Let's listen in. Y también les comenté que he hablado con más de 45 jugadores que tienen la posibilidad de ser seleccionados por México. Y cuando consideremos que esté la oportunidad, sin duda que los convocaremos. Así que bueno, nos, ahora nos vamos a, a ocupar de convocar a los jugadores para este partido. Chicharito, 34 years old. Herc, does he have a future? with the Mexican national team. He'll be 35 soon. Yes, that's summer. how math works, correct. Yes, but no, it's not like he's just turned 34. When it comes to you're now in your mid-30s as a footballer, this matters a lot, Seb. Um, he missed, I believe, 21 games since he signed in Major League Soccer. There are 34 games in a season. So in those three years, he missed a lot of games. It's mm -hmm. true. We interviewed him at MLS Media Day, and he was very happy when you mentioned that his goal production went up every single year. I believe the opening year it was when MLS is back in that tournament. He had one goal and then got injured and didn't play, right? Mm -hmm. And then the following year, he ended up scoring 17 goals. The year after that, last year, he scored 18 goals. So there has been a boost in production. Well, that's 17 to 18, 900 more minutes to get that 18th goal. This is a player right now that isn't in his best moment and hasn't played a competitive game since October of last year. That's over six months. Will he be ready for this fixture? I don't know. I highly doubt it. What kind of role, to answer your question, mm -hmm. can he have on this team? A very limited role if Mexico is smart mm. about it. A Josie Altador-type role in 2019 with Greg Berhalter, where you're or just sort of grooming the next generation. Okay. But by no means are you in the future plans. Right now, it's Santi Jimenez y diez más. That's how it looks <laughs> like. And Javier Hernandez being the all-time leading goal scorer of the Mexican national team can certainly provide something in experience, in leadership, in guidance as a mm -hmm. mentor. But by no means should he be a focal point of Diego Coca's attack. So he'll be 35 for Copa America, 37 for the World Cup, if we do the math there. I think he's got a, a significant role, Herc. And I look <laughs> at kind of what, what we might expect from the 2026 World Cup. Pretty likely we're gonna stick with these bigger rosters, right? So a 26-player roster 
is very likely. And I think we learned from watching the US play at the World Cup. You can take four forwards. If you only take three number nines, you can run out of guys quickly. Remember what happened to the United States against Netherlands. One guy goes down, and suddenly your options are, are almost non-existent. Happened to Mexico, so too. I, could, I can see Mexico taking, just for starters, four forwards to the 2026 World Cup. Santiago Jimenez, no doubt, ahead of Chicharito right now. Henry Martin, no doubt, ahead of Chicharito right now. After that, who's ahead of Chicharito? We're not putting Raul Jimenez. We just did a segment talking about how Raul Jimenez time with a Mexican national team is over. What more, Herc, do you want from a third forward or even a fourth forward on a national team than all the experience that you just talked about and goals? Goals off his face, his elbow, his butt, whatever it is, but goals. I can see a role for Chicharito unlike the role or like the role that was denied Hugo Sanchez in 94. Huh? Hugo Sanchez was 36 years old in 1994. He missed his World Cup in 90 because Mexico was banned. And he could have been a star for Mexico at the 94 World Cup. He didn't want to play. Yeah, that's it. That's but it. Didn't want to play in the, uh, in the now, round of 16 now, against now Bulgaria. Now, there'll be many viewers right now, okay, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. could probably sympathize with what Mexico's going through or should be going through. And will recall a Sebastian Salazar who wanted nothing to do with the likes of Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, mm -hmm. that regime even yep. though they could have served a purpose. But here you are advocating for a 37-year-old Javier Hernandez mm -hmm. who's not played mm -hmm. since 2019 with the Mexican national team. Last goal, by the way, against the U.S. Yeah. men's national team in New Jersey. You're advocating for him to go to the World Cup. Why don't they take the approach that mm -hmm. the U.S. men's national team did where you're going to take your lumps along the way because they did. They took big lumps. But mm -hmm. those players gained that experience, and they didn't have those older players breathing down their necks, pressuring them. Why don't they go down that route, Sebi? Why won't, why won't you be okay with that? Look, I'm fine. I'm fine to give Santiago Jimenez the minutes. I'm fine to give Henry Martin the minutes. I don't think Chicharito needs the minutes to be an effective player for this team. To your point about Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore, those guys were coming off a failed World Cup qualification campaign. You don't campaign, think this was failed? Right? The team needed to move. Mexico's coming off a failed campaign without Chicharito. If anything, you would say, hey, look at this guy. Maybe he could help us because when we put him out Did of the team, we the had the worst of Chicharito World there? Cup in 30 years. Did you not see the numbers with Chicharito? The team was worse when he was there. Herc, Herc, tell me, give me a young Mexican forward to be excited about who's going to be the third forward on this depth chart. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell Seb, me who it's going to be. Seb, you're not thinking straight. Because in three years' time, there may be that forward. But if Chicharito's there, you're not going to see him. Hmm. Chicharito's scoring goals. Is he? And there's when? not another. When is he scoring goals? I just told goals. you he's not, play, he's not going to play for six months. When's he scoring I'm goals? I'm going to tell you right now, it is much more likely that Javier Hernandez is going to score goals in Major League Soccer, at least in the build-up to the 2024 tournament, the Copa America, than it is that another Mexican striker is going to suddenly catch fire and start scoring goals at a significant level. Name me the guys. Na name me candidates for that. Who? Who, Herc? That besides Jimenez, besides Andy Martin, give me somebody. Seb, somebody will come along because they have to develop. So that's the whole idea. Right. You develop. Right. if you, Because it's the same thing with Memo Choi. You have to develop. Develop in Liga Mekis. you got to score somewhere else before you get called into the national team. Don't Herc. hang up. You, you, you want to call in guys with how, nothing. That's not how it works. There's going to be somebody getting an opportunity, but not no. if Javier is there, not if Chicharito's no. there, not if the player who hasn't played for six months is taking up a space. And by the way, you're pretty sure he will score goals. The Galaxy mm. have three goals this season. It's not exactly a team that's setting up their forwards for opportunities. On the topic of Mexican greats, <laughs> Chicharito is probably in that discussion somewhere. Exactly where, again, like many things, depends on who you ask. Well, they asked just that question to another person that's involved in the conversation. Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Here's what he had to say. Aunque ellos han jugado en, en varios equipos y eso yo no, no lo digo yo, lo dice toda la gente. Yo no me, me comparo ni con Charito ni con Hugo, cada quien hizo su historia. Y pues pregúntale, yo califiqué a, a la selección en dos mundiales. Estamos a punto de, de no ir, con la ayuda igual de mis compañeros. Pero pues toda la gente dice que soy mejor que ellos, pero bueno, yo se lo dejo a la gente y no, no lo digo yo. All right, Herc, Cuauhtémoc Blanco says he's the best. But I got to get my thoughts oh, in. Oh, no. Okay, time for my top five all-time list 
of Mexican greats. Now, this is not what you did in the national team shirt. This is for your entire career. Number five, our good friend and colleague, Jared Borghetti. Number four, the aforementioned Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Number three, Chicharito. Number two, Hugo Sanchez. And number one, the man whose shirt I was wearing the other day on this show, El Kaiser, Rafa Marquez. All right, what do you think of my list? Let's go with the immediate here that everybody will will look at. Uh, you have Rafa Marquez over Hugo Sanchez. Why? I have Rafa Marquez over Hugo Sanchez. Why? Well, I will admit that there's some generational and positional bias here, right? I am not afraid, like many people, to say that defenders are great. Okay, a lot of people will just look at Hugo Sanchez, they see the stats, and they say, okay, greater than Rafa Marquez. I'm not afraid to say that a defender is great, okay? Generationally, I will also acknowledge that while you are well into your 40s, I'm still here in my 30s, right? So we're a different generation. I didn't see as much of Hugo Sanchez, okay? I saw a lot of Rafa Marquez. So take my opinion with a generational grain of salt. But the final verdict here for me, huh, is that Hugo Sanchez was a starter on a great team. Rafa Marquez was a starter on one of the greatest teams of all time. And that, for me, is the difference. Yeah. Rafa Marquez, that's a tiebreaker. So is his work with the national team, let, if you compare it to let me Let me help you out right here. This is overall, so you have to include club and country. Mm-hmm. Hugo mm-hmm. Sanchez, and it's circumstantial, because 1990, they were mm-hmm. forbidden. They were um, banned, banned from the World Cup for a youth tournament that they cheated in. So he didn't play mm-hmm. in that. He didn't really have the national team career that some of these guys had. Yep. Rafa Marquez, Penta World Cup. He played in five. He captained five different World Cup sides for the Mexican national team. And you've already mentioned he played on arguably one of the best teams of all time, mm-hmm. of any mm-hmm. era. Pep Guardiola, Messi's Barcelona. So take that right there. I will give you Rafa Marquez, but Hugo Sanchez easily the most recognizable Mexican player on the planet yes. all time. Yeah. And you yeah. have to respect you... the cinco pichichis, the five pichichis, mm-hmm. the five goal-scoring titles, one with Atletico Madrid and four with Real Madrid. That, Real. All right. Here's another thing I got, I got to really ask you. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have two players in here, and I'm very surprised. One of them is Andres Guardado, who's the uh-huh. all-time appearance leader. Uh-huh. In Mexican national team history with 179. He's not there. He also happens to have a stellar European mm-hmm. career. Ridiculous European career. You don't have him here. Why? Recency bias. One, we're coming off the World Cup, which did not go very well for Guardado. He also, by the way, just broke Hugo Sanchez's record for most games in Europe as well, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was a tough one to leave off, but... I'm giving it to Borghetti. For me, there are bigger moments for Borghetti with the national team. And while he may not have had the longevity of the European career of a Guardado, he does also make it to the Premier League, which we know for Mexicans oh, has not been on. a place of much success. Come oh, on. You, you want to say bad things about our you good, good friend and colleague? You don't compare Guardado's European career to, to, to Borghetti. Borghetti that's, against Italia? Are you kidding me? That's one of the greatest European goals career. ever. That's a world uh, that's part of his resume. That's You're right. And when you combine the two, I love me some Jerry B. But come on, man. Another one. You're gonna leave off the only recognizable name every four years, which is Guillermo Choa, which I'm very surprised that you that mm-hmm. you would do that. Mm. Why is Guillermo Choa not in this top five for you? I'm very curious yes. that you would do that. Yes, I've just I, I do this show, Football Americas, and the co-host is just always you know denigrating goalies. He has such an anti-goalie rhetoric that it's just sunk into me. Memo has a, Memo has an incredible resume, uh, but he doesn't make it. And honestly, for me, Jorge Campos, growing up, is my favorite Mexican right, goalie. So, so I leave Memo off. This so is my the, list. So my list. Only, you can make your list. The only thing I will disagree with here um, mm-hmm. is Jare Borghetti being on at the expense of Andres Guardado. Cuauhtémoc, I actually have him as three uh, in mind, and I will tell you why. Uh, Cuauhtémoc Blanco may not have have had the European career Mm -hmm. that some of his counterparts had had. He only played Mm -hmm. Mexico. He played, I believe, a a few seasons in Spain. uh, One or two big moments, yes. But he's easily the player that when he played, when he put that jersey on, he transformed. He wasn't a striker. He scored 39 goals for the Mexican national team. Only five of those were friendlies. Only five were friendlies. The rest were World Cup qualifiers, Gold Cups, Confederations Cup. He scored like nine World Cups, three Mm. different World Cups. He transformed himself, and he's maybe number three on my list, maybe number four on your list. I'll tell you where he's number one. The hearts of the Mexican fan. That's exactly where he's number one. I don't mind your list. 
I understand what Ugo's saying, and he said it. Don't ask me, ask the people, and he's right. Yeah, so Quao. Um, so you've got Quao. You, yeah, you got Quao ahead of Chicharito. I've got Chicharito ahead, and, and here's the difference, and it's basically your point, right? Cuauhtémoc is a lot of folklore. It's a lot of myth. It's a lot about Cuauhtémoc. It's a lot of what if, to your point about the time in Europe. What if he had gone earlier? What if he hadn't broken his leg with Valladolid? What, what could have been with Cuauhtémoc Blanco? There are, of course, great moments and a great domestic career. But Herc, I, I can't put that ahead of what Chicharito actually did. Going to Manchester United, early 20s, scoring 20 goals in his first year there, contributing to Real Madrid in some of the biggest games. Mm -hmm. And Herc, beyond that, what he then did with the national team, 52 goals, goals across three World Cups. And by the way, to the point of like really truly reaching the elite level, starting in a Champions League final. That to me is like, I, I know the hearts and minds want to say, wow. But on paper, it's Chicharito, man. Yeah. On paper, it's Chicharito. Uh, Borghetti, who you added on your list, by the way, has more official goals than Chicharito. Ah, if you take out there the... it is. No, 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 no. This is just, this. I put, Chicharito to me is, is on this list and you have to give him his due. I'm just mm -hmm. letting you know for a counter argument for Cuauhtémoc. Like, there are goals within goals and there are moments of how you make the public feel. None of these players come close to what Cuauhtémoc gave the Mexican fan. Speaking of goals by Mexican stars, we got quite a few over the past couple days across Europe. Let's run it back. We'll start with our good friend Orbelin Pineda. His eighth goal of the season for IK Athens in a 1-0 win over Volos in the Greek League. Hey, he thought that was ninth. Good for him, though. I mean, uh, how does this work? Is it like the Belgium, Bel like the playoffs in Belgium? Is this how it works? Yeah, so they split the league in two. There's like a relegation table and then a championship table. All right. Eric Gutierrez, a goal for PSV in the Dutch Cup semis. This is a 2-1 victory over Spakenburg. This is amazing because Eric Gutierrez started and played this game as a center back. He was playing on the left side in the back line as a center back. That's right, a center back. His fourth goal in all competitions this season, PSV winners, and they are through to the Dutch Cup final. So who would they get in that final? Well, the other semi, Ajax and Feyenoord. Santi Jimenez, early chance, denied. Yeah, he was putting Edson on skates. I actually think Edson did good here to delay Santi, uh, try to get some help, but uh, luckily for him, he missed. 14th minute, Jorge Sanchez with the cross, falls to Dusan Tadic, 1-0 Ajax. I mean, they just kind of hit each other, ball falls in, and it's a nice little finish with the left foot. First half stoppage time. Jimenez all alone, 1-1. He didn't even jump, look at Santi. Santi continues his ridiculous form, what is that, like 9-11 now? On fire, 1-1, second half. Ajax through David Klaassen take the lead. And then look at this, Herc. Madness. Klaassen oh. struck with an object from the fans. There you see Edson Alvarez in the foreground. Three Mexican internationals starting in this game, which was delayed. 86th minute. Feyenoord desperate. Jimenez, the header off the post. I mean, when you're hot, you're hot. I mean, he just gets there. You don't know how he got there, the angle and whatnot off the post, unlucky, but. Ridiculous game. Ajax then 2-1 winners. They move on to the Dutch Cup final. It'll be Ajax against PSV on April 30th. That's the Dutch Cup. The Dutch League, of course, available for you on ESPN+. Plus. A little U.S. men's national team showdown on Friday. Ricardo Pepe and Taylor Booth squaring off as Kronigan and Utrecht play. Jordi Mihailovic and Aced taking on Sparta Rotterdam on Saturday. And then, of course, we know the many Mexican internationals. Eric Gutierrez with PSV. They play Saturday. Edson and Jorge Sanchez. They will be with Ajax Sunday against Fortuna Citar. And then Santi Jimenez back in action Sunday afternoon for Feyenoord, who sit atop the table. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. 
Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach, with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. To the Premier League, Herc, specifically Chelsea, where Frank Lampard is back in charge of the Blues. He was named caretaker manager for the rest of the season as the search for a permanent boss continues. But for now, Lampard takes over team in 11th place, 14 points off of the top four. Lampard, of course, was the manager when Christian Pulisic arrived at Chelsea back in 2019. Herc, will Lampard's arrival revive Pulisic's time at Chelsea? Honestly, when I found out we're talking Pulisic, I was like, again? Talking Pulisic? And then when you realize why you're talking Pulisic, you're like, oh, mm -hmm. now you have my attention. This actually makes a little bit of sense. Lockdown Pulisic is back. He played 51 games for Frank Lampard. In all competitions, 13 goals, 10 assists. In the Premier League alone, it was like 9 goals, 6 assists. Mm -hmm. Easily the best and most productive season for Christian Pulisic with any coach. And you heard it in his book. He was just starting to get used to and really appreciate Frank Lampard and his style. This looks, this sounds, this smells like the perfect combination, the perfect moment for Christian Pulisic to retouch, get re-engaged with the Lampard system. And what mm -hmm. were his great ways during that pandemic season. I understand it's locked down, the fans, whatnot, could be a different scenario, but certainly the fact that Christian Pulisic is reuniting right now a much more mature Christian Pulisic, a much more experienced Christian Pulisic with the coach that he's had the most success with so far in his career, you've got to be thinking good things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on Monday's show, I thought Graham Potter leaving was a bad thing for Christian Pulisic. I didn't know the replacement would be, but I brought it up on Monday that the best time for Christian Pulisic at Chelsea was indeed under Frank Lampard. So this is great news, Herc, but I think it's great news in the short term, not the long term. Because if we look at it, there is not a manager, either at Chelsea or really anywhere else in his club career, that has had more faith in or gotten more production out of Christian Pulisic. I just don't know... If either Frank Lampard has the juice right now, remember, he's just caretaker manager. He's not taking over full time. Or if there's enough runway here for Christian Pulisic to really change the mind of not just Chelsea fans, but Chelsea brass, more importantly, about keeping him around the club. Or even if that's what's in the best interest of Christian Pulisic. I still think it's important, right? Because over the next couple months, if Christian Pulisic doesn't play, then there's not going to be any market for him in the summer. If he gets some run under Lampard, whether Chelsea wants to bring him back or not is kind of irrelevant. The options, the opportunities this summer will be much greater if he's played well under Lampard. So in the short term, I think this is a revival. Long term, though, I still still don't think Chelsea's the best place for him. You agree? What is this? With the interim, it'll be the fifth coach in as many years. He got there. He was 21. He's 24 now. You need stability. You need playing time. He's not had it really. Even at the end with Frank Lampard, he wasn't on the outs. If you remember, it was Frank Lampard and Jesse Marsh kind of getting into it because Jesse Marsh didn't take too kindly for him not playing. Christian Pulisic didn't think he valued the American player that much. It was a little back and forth. So I agree. Maybe the long term, the best thing is for Christian Pulisic to leave. But certainly in the immediate, the only way you can get out and sell yourself is by producing on the field. And one of the few coaches where that's gone well for you, really well for you, was with Frank Lampard. So it just sounds and looks like a good situation for me, if any. Good news for Pulisic at Chelsea. Is it going to revive his Chelsea career? Uh, maybe that's a, a step too far. Of course, uh, Pulisic started his career 
in the Bundesliga, which you can now watch on ESPN+. His former team, Borussia Dortmund, kicking things off early Saturday morning. Fiorain and Borussia Dortmund against Jordan Pifox Union Berlin. There you see the rest of the slate. Of course, the Bundesliga available exclusively on ESPN+. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. From the Bundesliga. The CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal first legs all wrapping up in the midweek. Leon taking on Violette. This one was close for a while, Herc, uh, but Leon scored three goals after the 84th minute uh, and finished up 5 nothing winners. Yeah, yeah, I believe in the early 60th uh, minute, there was a, a goal by Violette called back. You thought for a second, maybe, but no, it was short-lived and then just, wow. Taking five on the road, even Violette, that Cinderella story. There's no way they'll come back from that one. I had the under four and a half in this game. So at, at the 90th minute, I'm feeling really, really good. Uh, after stoppage time, not so much. That is the definition of a bad beat. Tigres, meanwhile, they go down to Honduras and win one nothing against Motagua. Luis Quinones, the only goal in the game. Yeah, Gignagher Leon, that was really the one for him. He doesn't do well enough there. And then look at this. Goalkeeper comes out. Not so well. And Quinones, one-time finish with the right foot. 1-0. Diego Linus got the start. Again, Diego Linus, not one goal or one assist. Zero goals, zero assists, and 11 appearances for Tigres this season. Much needed win there for Tigres. LAFC, they rolled Vancouver in Vancouver. 3-0 the final. Buongo with a couple goals. Apoku as well. 3-0 in the first leg here, Herc. Yeah, he was all over this. This is uh, Buanga right there. Doing the dirty work of Poku, finishing it off. I mean, this was an away game for LAFC. They felt very much at home. Buanga doing everything he can. He's on a ridiculous run of form right now for LAFC. You thought they were gonna suffer without Chicho Arango? Not really. LAFC getting it done away from home. In Philadelphia, the Union playing host to Atlas. Atlas actually played with 10 men for the entire second half. Daniel Gazdag scored Philly's only goal on a penalty uh, late in this game as it finished 1-0 to the Union, Herc. Yeah, you thought they uh, should have done a lot better with that man advantage playing at home for 45 more minutes, especially like a team, especially with a team like Atlas who has suffered as of late. They didn't only take home the 1-0 win. Now back to Mexico. Yep. So as you saw there, three of the four quarterfinals basically decided after the first leg. The obvious exception, Philadelphia against Atlas. After that first leg, those first 90 minutes, Herc, who do you see as the favorite going back to Mexico? Atlas. Now, I know it's something ridiculous. Like, um, I believe the last 17 matchups between the two in the knockout phase, mm -hmm. it's something like uh, the t no MLS team has advanced if they've not won the first leg. So they mm -hmm. have that going for themselves. Philly has that. They also have that Atlas has struggled in league play. But Atlas has kind of woken up as of late. You look what they did against Olympia. You look what they did against Puebla. That's eight goals right there in two games. Three more against Chivas. Yes, at home they gave up three as well. But they're starting to awaken. They're starting to show glimpses of that team that can be so dangerous in their play. And Philly has to go into Mexico protecting only a one-goal lead. That's dangerous. If I had to pick a favorite right now, I would pick Atlas. I just don't think Philly did enough. Can Philly win? Yeah, Sure, they can win, but they've not convinced me in league play. They didn't convince me with the 45 minutes they had a man up, that man advantage. And I don't know if they'll convince in the conditions of uh, El Estadio Jalisco, 
with that grass, the opponents in Mexico, where Major League Soccer teams haven't fared as of late or in their history. Yeah. If this was like five or six years ago, Herc, I would definitely say Philly had not done enough because it used to be back when you were playing yeah. in CONCACAF Champions League where if the MLS team didn't go to Mexico and forget winning, but win by like multiple goals, yep. it was pretty much game, set, match, right? Any team in Mexico was going to take care of any team in MLS. I don't think that's the reality anymore. My worry here is that you point out Atlas struggles, and yes, they have had a, a slight uptick of late. Philly is also struggling yeah. to start this season. They played nine games across all competitions. They've only won four, and two of those were in CONCACAF Champions League. So Philly is not rolling right now. And I think you saw that represented in the first leg. It was not a game like, should they have done more? Yes. Did they deserve more than a one nothing win or, a, you know, in, in this match? I don't think so. I think Atlas, if anything, probably comes away happy with the scoreline in terms of, yeah, we can overcome one nothing at home but saying we could have actually gotten a draw yeah. or maybe even a victory out of this match. I, I think Atlas deserved more. I think they'll be kicking themselves. They had opportunities in the first half, a, a few uh, 1v1s with the back line, with the goalkeeper that they didn't capitalize on. I, I agree with you. It's maybe out of the two Atlas uh, lamenting what they didn't do. Atlas, of course, one of the Liga Mekis flag bearers in CONCACAF Champions League. We got Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. This is the... Uh, Grupo Caliente, bro. no? Cholos against Querétaro. That's 11 right. p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Friday. ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. Time to check in on the U.S. women's national team, Herc. Julie Ertz, reintroduction into the squad. Still the main topic of conversation. Ertz, of course, called up last week, having not featured for the national team since the Tokyo Olympics and not having played in either of the last two NWSL seasons. She gave birth to her first child in August of the last year. Here's Ertz speaking for the first time publicly since her call up. Yeah, I feel really good. Um, you know, I, I have been, you know, training and, and making sure that, you know, my body feels physically where it needs to be. Um, and, you know, being in this environment, I kind of know where my body was before. Um, so, I do feel really good, um, and obviously getting played in is part of that as well. Um, but I feel I feel great. I'm in communications with a few teams, so just hopefully finalizing them soon. Trying to stay focused on the games um, coming up, but also knowing that I need a club team. So hopefully have an answer for you soon. We wait with bated breath. U.S. Women's National Team got a couple games coming up. That'll be our first chance to look at Julie Ertz. Maybe some NWSL teams will be watching as well. April 8th in Austin, April 11th in St. Louis. Both those games against Ireland as the buildup to the World Cup continues. Let's talk NWSL, Herc. Casey Kurt and Portland Thorns. Remember, we showed you the highlights from this game on Monday. They made history on Saturday. Of course, the game was on Big CBS to 475,000 viewers, making it the most watched NWSL game ever, 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 ever. Portland, 4-1 winners over Kansas City. That huge audience got to see Sophia Smith drop a hat trick as the Portland Thorns rolled by a final score of 4-1. Just more history. Another day, another week as the NWSL continues to reach milestones. Speaking of, the latest on NWSL expansion is here. We now know where the league will be going next. The Bay Area, a group led by U.S. Women's National Team alums Brandi Chastain, Danielle Slayton, Ali Wagner, and Leslie Osborne heading up this group. It'll be team number 14 in the NWSL, joining in 2024 along with the return of a club in Utah. Herc, let's get hypothetical. I want you to look into your crystal ball 10 years into the future, which will be a bigger soccer draw in the Bay Area, this new NWSL team or the San Jose Quakes? No, this new NWSL team, easily. Yes. Um, I love what they're doing. I love the approach. Uh, the, the Bring back the ex-players, have them have a stake in ownership, uh, everything that could be 
or that is NWSL today, I think San Diego and Angel City, the Wave and mm. Angel City have proven that if you do it the right way, people will pay attention. They will come out. They will support you. They will spend money on you. We just saw the record numbers there. There are Major League Soccer clubs that wish they had those numbers. This is great news. I will bet NWSL, but because it's against the earthquakes. This earthquakes. <laughs> John Fisher's earthquakes. John Fisher purchased this team. He took control of this team in 2007. 2007. Mm. Since 2007, this team has had one, one year where they placed above sixth, not overall, in the Western Conference. One Ooh. year. And that one year where they placed over sixth in the Western Conference, where they had sixth or better, guess what year it was? It was 2012, and Chris Wondolowski had to score 27 goals. He had to set a league record for them to be relevant for one year. Literally the worst possible scenario for a just once great organization. John Fisher is one of the worst owners in sports. The Oakland A's, the San Jose Earthquakes. Attendance is abysmal. The gap is one thing. What your family did here is one thing. Leave the footballing business, leave the sports business to somebody else. So if you're asking me, where do I place my money? Mm -hmm. An unnamed team right now with zero to show for it right now, just an idea? Or John Fisher and the San Jose Earthquakes on what will be more successful? I'm taking the NWSL team. Congratulations to my ladies. All right, let's talk dollars and cents here, huh? When the Quakes and John Fisher bought their franchise, it cost them $20 million. This one cost $53 million, Herc. That's a record for the NWSL. So right there, I think we get a little hint into the ambition of the respective owner groups. On top of that, this new ownership group is talking about $125 million investment into the team. A lot of that is going to be spent on a training facility. Now, I believe that NWSL has the potential to be bigger than the Quakes for basically one reason and one reason alone. The San Jose Earthquakes are never going to bring the best players in the world to San Jose. There is a chance that this NWSL Bay Area team could bring the best players in the world to the Bay Area. And if they do that, they will be well ahead of the San Jose Earthquakes. I also think there's huge opportunity for growth. We're talking about 125 million here. The venture capitalists, all the money people out in Silicon Valley, they, they haven't caught wind of this yet, right? All these rich people that are buying in now, they have rich friends. I could see this catching fire. I could see a lot of money coming in here. And I think it's very clear that the NWSL has a massive opportunity. Now, what's gonna be the deciding factor here? You have your own stadium. Because a lot of this NWSL growth happens in MLS stadiums. And we gotta be honest about the bar. Kansas City is moving the bar. They're saying the new bar for NWSL is we have our own stadium. If this group can build their own stadium in the Bay Area, then for me, it's a no doubt they're gonna be bigger than the Quakes. If they're playing in somebody else's facility, then I think it's a different conversation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's go from the NWSL to another potential superstar coming to the United States. Lionel Messi. That's right. Although there's reportedly a big offer from somewhere other than Miami. Specifically, Al-Hilal, the rivals to Cristiano Ronaldo's Al Nasser of the Saudi League, are offering up a whopping $400 million a year contract. 
Uh, this stays after a report that Inter-Miami were ready to offer Messi an equity stake in the club. Herc, what does this big Saudi offer mean for MLS chances of landing Lionel Messi? Man, this is detrimental to their efforts. Now, you know, we're, we're big supporters of Major League Soccer. We hope they kill it with Apple. We hope it, it does very well that the game continues to grow here. Um, they have a subscription-based plan, Apple TV. And soccer is a niche sport in this country. Something that is much more niche than that is, niche than that, excuse me, is uh, MLS. And the people who will spend money on you are those diehards, those people who actually buy season tickets. You get the season pass with the season ticket. Right now, what you need to do, what you need to show the world, is that you can't drive subscriptions. You need a type of player like a David Beckham. Who is like a David Beckham, the 2007 version of David Beckham today? That is Messi. Messi can be that player. He's almost instrumental in your efforts of taking this league to the next level where you say you want it to go. 400 million euros a season? That is a lot of money, Sav. I don't know anybody in their right mind, and I don't think Messi needs the money. And if anybody can say, I don't want it, it would be him. He's one of the few people that could do it. But it's certainly enticing enough for him to have a serious think about it. And if that's the case, it comes at the expense of Major League Soccer. And that is everything for Major League Soccer. Yeah. It's a lot of money, dude. It's a lot of money. You, you, you can't ignore that. But I think we have to acknowledge how much interest there seems to have been from Lionel Messi and his camp towards Inner Miami. This offer is a financial offer that somebody put in front of Messi. Messi and his folks have been flirting with Major League Soccer, right, for a while. There's a different dynamic there. If I had to look at the options, realistic options for Messi, Barcelona, PSG, Inter Miami, Saudi Arabia. Honestly, whatever the number is in Saudi Arabia, I would put Saudi Arabia last because Lionel Messi to me doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to go somewhere for the money. When we talked about this with Cristiano Ronaldo, remember it was during the World Cup, a lot of us said we could see him taking the money. We could see him going after that. I don't see that with Messi. Messi earns at least, this was three years ago, $60 million a year off the field. This guy does not need money hurt. I don't see, I see Inter Miami maybe having to up their offer that equity stake, but I don't see him choosing Saudi Arabia over MLS. I'm sorry. I don't care the dollar amount. He's already got a place in Miami. I'll tell you why I don't think he'll go to Saudi Arabia. He doesn't strike me as a type of guy that would want to fire up the circus again. And what I mean by that is he's in a much easier place. You go to Saudi Arabia, what's the narrative mm -hmm. going to be? Cristiano, Messi again. And it'll be that all He seems to me like he wants a much more easier time, and I say that respectfully, in his personal mm -hmm. life. Now, if what you want to do is play in Europe, Saudi Arabia and MLS are out of the equation already. That leaves you few opportunities or few actually options. Barcelona, what are they going to do to get him on their wage bill? I mean, Gavi's not even a first-team player right now. Julian Araujo isn't a first-team player right now. How are you going to get Messi in there in that wage bill with all, uh, with how backed up you are, with how in debt you are, and also the problems that they have or may have in the future, depending on whatever comes out of the, you know, the sanctions that could be. Yeah. It leaves very few possibilities. I would tend to think that because there's been more than nibbles, there's been actual approachment by Inter and by Jorge Messi, his father, who also happened to be in Las Vegas at last year's Gold Cup um, between the U.S. Men's National Team and Mexico with Don Garber, by potential stake yeah. in ownership in Major League Soccer or a club within Major League Soccer. I would tend to think where there's smoke, there's fire on that, but it's $400 million euros and i know we say he doesn't need the money but that type of money will make you think twice at least of course of course i think though there's obvious reasons not to go to each of the other three options right saudi arabia is a league that he's shown no interest in barcelona is a place that as you point out is a mess right now psg they're booing him in the stadium what's not to like about inter miami that's what i'm saying like of the options it continues to me uh to look like the best. You mentioned Julian Araujo, Herc, which is very, very interesting. Because even though he didn't play in yesterday's Clásico between Real Madrid and Barcelona, he was being discussed by Xavi Hernández earlier this week. Let's hear what Xavi had to say. Bueno, Julian se está adaptando muy bien, ¿no? Estos meses, pues dentro de lo que 
de la pena que no puede jugar con, con nosotros, creo que se está adaptando bien, creo que es un futbolista que nos puede ayudar a partir del, del año que viene, es un futbolista rápido, agresivo, eh, se incorpora bien, eh, potente, buen disparo desde fuera, está entrenando muy bien, la verdad, eh, contento con él, es un tío positivo, está agradecido, está feliz donde está y esto es muy, muy importante para, para él y para nosotros. Gaby, talking up Julián Araujo, something, nothing or everything. Um, it's something. Listen, it's not nothing because anytime the first team manager mentions your name and you're not even part of the first team, that that's something. Okay, I don't care mm -hmm. who you are. That is something. It's not everything because what what's he going to say? Oh, he's really struggling. I don't know why we purchased him. I don't know why we even have him. He's not going to say that either. It's definitely something because of what we saw. We yeah. are seeing right now Barcelona who are a very good defensive team. Only nine goals against in league play. It's unreal, unheard of for Barcelona. But when it comes to playing Clásicos, they're playing with Araujo on the right. Not Julian Araujo, okay? The other Araujo, Ronald Araujo. Ronald Araujo okay, yeah. the Uruguayan. He's a center back. And it's been working a lot versus Vinicius. And I'm not saying Julian is going to be that man, but obviously when it comes to playing in these do or die games, you need depth. And they've proven right now that they don't have the depth. You saw the players that were missing, and there were big names, Pedri, Dembele, um, Frankie de Jong, etc. some big names. A player like Julian may be able to offer something different, something distinctive, the physicality that sometimes they don't have. But Julian is still a very young player. Julian has not gotten a taste of first-team football at Barcelona, a real game. We've had good moments in the past with CONCACAF players in this type of environment, most recently in Barcelona. Serginho Dest, he had his good moments until they weren't. So it's how do you, one, win the position, and two, stay in that position. Yeah, I think Barcelona has great defensive stats, Herc. I don't know if they're great defensively. I think in La Liga they've been stingy. But to your point, when they go up against not just Clásico, but real quality competition yeah. in Europe. United. Yeah. They don't look that sturdy, right? They don't look that sturdy. I think they could use some help out there right back. And I think it's important that he's being discussed. This changes a little bit what we think about his potential at Barcelona. Because remember, a couple weeks ago, it was talk about a, a loan to a place like Valencia. Now you look at it and you see that Araujo couldn't quite handle Vinicius Jr. And maybe Julian Araujo, like Ronald, also can't handle Vinicius Jr. But there's a need there. There's a coach talking him up. And, Herc, to your point about Barcelona earlier, they're probably not going to go out and buy anybody at that position, right? So he's not going to face, like Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, a bunch, a wave of guys coming in and fighting him for, for a spot. I think this is really good news for Julian Araujo. And if this time next year, Araujo is starting for Barcelona at right back, whoo, you will have heard it here first on Football Américas. Don't you forget it. <laughs> All right, Herc, we're wrapping up the show here on ESPN+. Plus. You know what time it is? What time? Time to check in on social media. Check Ooh, the mentions. Fun. We put out some uh, a feeler, a call for questions. What did we get from the good people who watch this show? Chiqui Dracula, Ref Dracula. How would you rank who needs a summer move the most? Polisic Dest or Reyna? What do you think, Herc? Um, Serginho Dest, number one. Because even if he goes back to Barcelona, I don't even think that's the, the mm. right situation for him. So I would say number one. Number two, Christian Pulisic. And I'm just putting Christian Pulisic number two because let's, for a second, play fantasy. And let's say he absolutely does very well with Frank Lampard. And Frank Lampard ends up being not the caretaker anymore. Hey, take it full time. Right. Let's say they go on this crazy run in the Champions League. And you know what, Frank? You got another season. That could entice me maybe for a second Christian Pulisic stint going on to next year. But Sergio Dest, absolutely number one. Uh, number two, Christian Pulisic. And I think Giovanni Reina is fine for the time being at Dortmund. Wow. I, I don't mind him there. Okay. You don't you disagree? Me. I, I would have gone Dest, Reina. Reina over Pulisic? And we don't know, Charles. Nah, Pulisic needs it more. I, I'm not, I guess, I, I don't disagree with the order. I'm just not so convinced that Gio Reina is at the right place anymore at Dortmund. That, that's what I'm not convinced of. Let's go next to uh, check the mentions. Let's, what do we got? What do we got next here? Now, is LAFC the best team in CONCACAF? And is Buanga the best forward in North America right now? North America. North America. North um, America. 
the best team right now, LAFC, they are not. And it pains me to say it is Rayados uh, of Monterey. They are the that best team right now in, in North America. With loving ways. They've only lost once. It was the first game of the season. They lost to Chivas in a game that I have no idea how they lost. They missed a penalty kick. Bertarame missed it. And Wacho Jimenez, the Chivas goalkeeper, had like 30-something saves. It was in, I'm, That's not an exaggeration. They shot the ball like 30 times. It was ridiculous. That's their only loss of the season. The rest are wins and one draw. They've absolutely dominated Liga Mekis. They've got the best coach, uh, not just this season, but historically in, in Liga Mekis when it comes to winning titles in, in Victor Manuel Bucetich. They call him El Rey Midas. He's got the Midas touch. Everything's going right for them right now. Club America will certainly be a big test, but if I had to pick one team right now who's the best in North America, it would be Monterrey. And as far as forwards... Wow, I mean, playing in CONCACAF, you would find few as hot as Denny Bawanga, mm. which, which is something we need to dissect sooner rather than later of how a forward who was playing in the French second division, how a player was playing in the French second division, come in and just dominate Major League Soccer and CONCACAF that way and how smart John Thorrington and LAFC have been to get him here and, and, and to believe in him because they let Chicho Arango go. I mean, everybody, I questioned it. You questioned it. They had no problem with doing it. So they're making out like bandits right now. And, and yes, Danny Bowanga's uh, one of the best, if not the best at the moment. Yeah, I agree with you. Rael is probably a deeper team. A lot of that probably has to do because we got to give LAFC credit. They they do have to work within MLS roster regulations, the limitations. Rael don't have that. So well, some would argue if they're that spending they don't, money, but... If, well, yes, not not, uh, not to the letter of the law, some, <laughs> some would complain. Allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. All right, what's next on Check the Mentions? From Dan's favorite hair gel. That uh, must be a uh, ESPNFC fan. Happy birthday, Herc. You gave it away there. Herc, if you were in your playing prime, which MLS team, not Sounders, would you play for? Ooh. And not, not Galaxy or Toronto or anybody you play for. I can't for. Pick, pick the Galaxy else. either? No, 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 no. You got to pick somebody you didn't play for. I got to pick a team in Major what, League what Soccer. Organization, what organization would you or coach would you want to play for? I would play for... I would play for Austin. Yeah? Why? Yes. It seems like an unbelievable atmosphere. And I don't, I, know, I don't know the city of Austin. I've heard great things. It seems like an unreal atmosphere from the games that I've been able to call there, from the games that mm-hmm. I've been able to watch on TV. Um, the fans look awesome. They look great. It seems to be a buzz about the city. Uh, and, and from all accounts, the players that we've been able to interact with from Austin really enjoy playing there. And I happen to know Josh Wolf. Josh Wolf may be a lot of things, but he's a good guy. He was my teammate in Kansas yeah. City. Um, and I think I, I maybe would enjoy playing for him. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, when they're coaches, they're coaches and they're different people. But, yeah, I would say Austin. Okay. Hercules Gomez to Austin FC. They need a striker. So Do they? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Time for our parting shot here on Football Would you think I was say D.C.? Nah, we wouldn't have you in D.C. You couldn't afford me. The MLS Next Cup. Philadelphia Union's under-15s beating Real Madrid's under-15s in a penalty shootout, Herc. What do you think? This was like, didn't they beat Arsenal yesterday? They put the beat down on Arsenal. Uh, Kayvon Sullivan, by the way, listen, Philly, the Union, when it comes to the academy program, they do unreal things, great things. Massive shout, probably the best in, in Major League Soccer in the States, one of the best in, I guess now, Latin America. But this is massive. I mean, we're not talking about competing in CONCACAF. We're not talking about... You know, eventually trying to be the best in Major League Soccer, Major League Soccer and Concord. You're talking about competing with the rest of the world in your age and with your peers and dominating yesterday a team like Arsenal. Today, a name like Real Madrid. This is amazing. Good for them. Yeah. Great news for the Philadelphia Union, who, of course, as you mentioned, have had a ton of success at the academy level. They're not the only MLS team that's doing well in this tournament. Of course, it's on home soil, so you'd figure. But MLS against a lot of different teams from around the world doing well. A special shout out to the DC United under 17s, who also in a penalty shootout beat Manchester United. Wow. How about that on your resume? Huh? Do they do they so, still uh, charge the kids at DC United or is that stuff? No, 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 no. I think they've they've sorted that out. Oh, DC United doing them. things the right way, at least good at the academy them. level. Good for at them. At least at the academy level. And with just seconds left in the show, it is time to acknowledge. 
The Birthday Boy, Hércules Gómez. Estas son las mañanitas que cantaba el rey David. Well into his 40s, Hercules Gómez. 41. I appreciate you, Savvy. I really do. Thank you, everybody. All right. There he is, Herc. We will uh, see you back here on Monday he for the next edition my of birthday. Football Americas, the hardest working man at ESPN. We'll see you next week. Have a good weekend. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.